0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name's Chuck Fulton. I'm an elder here in the congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And now as we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. Let us pray. Hidden God, we worship you. By ourselves we could not know you. No human wisdom can discover you. No argument lead to you. No enterprise reveal you. In the wealth of its knowledge, the world fails to find you. But you came to search for us in the frailty of a human life. You trusted yourself to the fragile faith of wavering disciples. We praise you that in our very weakness, we can know you, that stumbling blocks become stepping stones, and the foolishness of the cross, the very truth that quickens us to life. Amen. And now as we worship together, let our hearts receive his Holy Spirit. Let our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
1: please stand for the call to worship? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you shall live. Let us worship God. <laughs>
2: What love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this when Christ is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in Christ purify themselves just as he is pure. In that spirit, let us confess our sins together. Let us pray. Holy God, giver of light and grace, we have sinned against you and against our fellow men and women through ignorance, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We have belittled your love and betrayed your trust. We are sorry We are ashamed. We repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past, and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. In Christ's name, amen. Hear the good news. For the sake of Christ's reconciling work, God will no more remember our sin or our sinfulness with which we have to struggle throughout our lives. God graciously imparts to us the righteousness of Christ so that we may never come into condemnation. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. And now, in holy unity of heart, let us join together in stating what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Amen. And now let us all warmly greet our neighbors.
1: Good morning. good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. Well, the Cubs are in the World Series. And Michigan's in the top five, so Jesus can come again. So that's. No, we're uh, grateful to be gathered here today as the people of God, have a little fun, and to, more importantly, worship our good Lord and to know the good Lord is here in our midst, we hope that you'll find this to be a place of welcome, especially if you're coming to us maybe for the first time or from a distance, we would love to welcome you and we would love to know your name, fill out the friendship pads which are in the pews, those will be likely going by uh, shortly and we hope that you'll have the chance to take note of uh, your neighbor and hopefully continue a conversation after our worship service today. Lots of uh, things are going on here at Church of the Palms, We are thick into our fall season and we're looking forward to this Saturday our uh, trunk or treat. This is a, a chance when we get to cover the parking lot over there by Bee Ridge Road with uh, cars with their trunks open uh, and with little uh, depictions of biblical scenes to uh, welcome children from our community to enjoy a little trick or treat in a very safe environment to learn a little bit of, about the biblical story and to have just a good old time. So we would love for you to help us out and you can do that in three ways. Uh, you can go out underneath the tree uh, this, after, this morning and you can grab one of these little cards, these trunk or treat cards and give this to a neighbor. Perhaps you have some neighbors who have children and uh, let them know about this great opportunity to come and invite and to be a part of our little celebration. Uh, You can do that. You could also bring some candy to the front office during the course of the week. We could use more candy to hand out to kids so we can give them a sugar high Saturday night (laughs) (coughs) before the sugar high on Monday night. And then also uh, you can participate by bringing your car and opening up your trunk. We need 10 more trunks to fill out the parking lot. And uh, you can sign up uh, also underneath the tree or you can call into the church office, but uh, we would love to have you come and be a part of it. I was there last year and it was a lot of fun, a lot of creativity and uh, a wonderful place for our children to be. So we'd love to have you join us for that. We'd also love to have you join us if you have uh, the uh, interest in participating in an enormous choir singing an an amazing piece, the Messiah, Handel's Messiah, you have that opportunity here at Church of the Palms. Tuesday night, beginning this Tuesday night, we'll begin rehearsals. Uh, for the Messiah that will be performed in, the early, in early December. And we would love to have you come and be a part of that. If you feel like you're rather humble about your voice, come along, we'd love to have you. Genevieve will be leading the Sarasota Choral Society uh, in those rehearsals and in that performance. So come and join us for that. Also in your bulletin is a, uh, a little insert about ushering. And uh, we have this vision here at Church of the Palms to become more and more the most loving place in town. And uh, perhaps the best way for us to do that is that first impression we make for people who come into our doors on Sunday morning. We need more ushers. Um, Strangely enough, one of these uh, wonderful tasks where it really doesn't involve much more time than just coming to church on Sunday morning, which you're gonna be doing anyway. Uh, we would love to have you help us with that. And this insert in your bulletin is an opportunity for you to sign up, either fill it out, put it right in the offering plate as it goes by, or hand it to an usher on the way out the door, or there's also information in your uh, insert there to uh, reach out to somebody by email. So we would love to have you help us with that. Um, This is one of those responsibilities where we should have too many ushers. And, uh, and not enough spaces. So we would love for you to help us with that uh, opportunity as well. Then on page nine in your bulletin is an update on our Open Palms campaign. Many of you have been around over these last several months where we participated in Great Capital Campaign to raise money for a new building that's going up just south of the sanctuary here. And uh, we are delighted that that is on schedule. We plan to break ground probably in the middle of January. So we're looking forward to that but you'll see that we are uh, making progress on our congregational challenge of $300,000 by the end of the year, and we're one third of the way uh, to that. For those of you who have not yet pledged, you are invited to do so, and we would love for you to fill out a pledge card which is available in the back of the sanctuary and or if you have not yet started participating in giving, we are grateful to say that we are already one third through uh, our gifts that we anticipate being received for Open Palms. And that means we have two thirds of the way to go, but we're only about six months into the campaign. And so we're grateful for those of you who have already been participating, but we would love for you to uh, continue in that way. And if you've not yet had the chance to start, uh, this is a perfect time to do that. Many of you also heard this week that Dr. Bob Windham passed away, long time member of our congregation and a great serv- servant in our community. And uh, we mourn his loss, our loss for his presence in our midst and his service will be on November the 5th, Saturday, November the 5th at three o'clock here in the sanctuary. So keep Lilia and her boys and their families in our prayers. Let us continue our worship.
3: Let us join our hearts and our minds in prayer together. Gracious God, we come to your house to worship you, prepare for the coming week, reorient our minds and our hearts in a world that is full of distractions. We're encouraged and strengthened as we sing and as we pray together and as we hear the message from your word, we are challenged to walk with you more closely. So we want to hear from you today, and we are needy people, and we want to seek your will and your way. Thank you for your faithfulness, your mercy, your grace. You're always there when we need you. You never have turned us away or failed us. You've never failed to fulfill your promises to us and to your world. In our troubles and trials and when the road seems long, you've been right here with us and you've helped us for all of this, we give you thanks and praise today. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. But most of all, we want to thank you for who and what you are. We pray for the needs of our people today. We've all come with individual and personal needs. Maybe nobody on earth knows about the struggles and burdens they are facing, but you know and you invite us to bring everything to you in prayer. So we reach out to you and we know that you're already reaching out to us. We ask you to meet our needs this morning and give us assurance that you're answering our prayers. We pray for the many different kinds of physical needs, financial needs, emotional relationship needs, and for those who lost their loved ones this week. Whatever they are, Lord, we bring them to you because you can do something about them. We pray especially for wholeness and healing in our national life. Right now, it feels as if our nation is pulling apart. So many don't trust our leaders. We cannot find ways to work together for the common good. We allow the least among us to suffer and languish. We lose our children to gun violence. Remind us of our calling, of our common creed, we pray, that we are all together to ensure that every person counts and that all of your children deserve a country where not only life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness abound, but where destructive hatred is not prevalent in our discourse and in our social media. Resurrect within us, we pray, a profound gratitude for our freedom and our security and the gifts that all citizens offer, and determine not to dismiss them, we pray, or take them for granted. You have put all of us here to make a positive contribution to our country, our families, our church. We pray that each one of us will allow ourselves to be used for the betterment of all. Lord, may peace and justice fill our land, and indeed the whole world. We pray this morning for the escalating tension and violence in the Middle East and for places around the globe where people are victimized and safety is threatened, freedoms are denied and life is treated as anything less than sacred. Oh, gracious God, grant us the yoke of Christ. Bind us together, tethered by your love, guided by your presence, bringing your kingdom more and more into this world. Help us, Lord, to put first things first. Help us to keep our priorities straight. Help us to seek first your kingdom and its righteousness, and then let the other things fall into their rightful place. Help us to make right choices that will count for eternity, because it is for this kingdom, your kingdom, that we now pray using the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, We have a wonderful opportunity to live out our faith tangibly, to support the work God is doing through us. So let us bring God's tithes and our offerings before him as the ushers come forward. Sure. let pray. Lord, we bring this to you, our tithes, our offerings, our love. In this upside-down world of the gospel where what we earn is not nearly as important as to what we give away, we bring this to you in love and in appreciation for your grace in our lives. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. You may be seated. And again, we're going to ask Carol and the children to come forward. One of whom is already here.
4: <laughs> She's always up there. <laughs> Look, you got your pumpkin. Oh, this is great! Come on up! Come on up! Kids, kids, man, I've been—I had uh, 17 kids at my house, middle school and high school girls at my house this whole weekend. It was great, but. This feels better, <laughs> and a kitten. I think the kitten's more worn out than um, I might even be. <laughs> um, so anyway, I brought this. You guys know what this is, right? What is it, Maddie? We use it for what? Who uses one of these things? A heartbeat. Okay. Who uses it? A doctor and a doctor. Right. What is it called? A stethoscope. Right. Right again. Okay. So. Um, what does he use it for? He, he listens to something. What does he listen to?
3: Your heartbeat. Your
4: heartbeat. So, so sometimes we look fine on the outside, but when we listen on the inside, our heart doesn't, uh, isn't always right sometimes. So we usually go to the doctor once a year, and we go for a checkup. You guys know the routine. They listen to your, they listen to your, they look in your eyes, they look in your ears, they look in your throat. And then they get the stethoscope out and they listen to your heart to make sure that you've got a strong and healthy um, heartbeat. And if they hear something irregular, then they know that maybe you've got something in there that they could give you medicine for, or sometimes they might hear something that they might need to operate on. And in some cases, some doctors have figured out with a stethoscope that your heart is unhealthy and you could get a whole new heart. Gosh, that God! I'm so thankful that God gives us doctors that can heal our hearts when they don't work. So anyway, in the Bible, we're talking about a man, and his name was David. Does anybody remember David? He was a shepherd boy, yeah, he was a shepherd boy, but God called him to be great and be a king. Remember, he was just a little shepherd boy, and he, what did he do? He fought someone. Who did he fight? Where do he fight? Goliath. Goliath, the big, the big, the big giant. Well, David knew that he had a heart problem, but his heart wasn't um, a problem that you could hear with a stethoscope. He, um, he knew that he had done some bad sins and some wicked things and evil things in God's sight, and he had He knew that he had some problems with his heart inside. So what do you think, God, what do you think he did? He went to someone that he knew could fix it. And that was God. So David prayed to God and he said, he went to God and he said, oh God, I have sinned against you and done evil things in your sight. Create in me a clean heart and give me a right spirit. So sometimes we have, you and I have a problem with our heart and we do things, we have things in our heart that aren't right. And um, things like jealousy and anger, sometimes we have self-control where we can't stop ourselves or things that we say that aren't quite right. And so we can do something about that in our heart. We might look nice when we come to church and everything. but. Inside, our heart needs a little help. So we can do what David did, and we can go to God to look inside us and ask God to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Then God can go and fix it. Will you pray with me? Dear God, you see wonderful things in each of us. Even when we sin and make big mistakes, You will find favor in us and wipe our hearts clean when we ask you to. Make our hearts right and fill us with a spirit to do good. We love you.
3: Amen.
1: Seated we have been following over these weeks of the fall what we call our narrative lectionary which is a collection of readings that take us from the beginning of the Bible to its end and helps us to follow this grand sweep of the narrative of God's story wondering about how we might participate in it and how God is participating in our own story. Today, the narrative lectionary lands us in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning at the first verse, and then another lesson that is not printed in your bulletin that I'll read from 2 Samuel chapter 12. Hear the word of God. Now when the king was settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, see now I'm living in a house of cedar but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to King David, go do all you have in mind for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep to be prince over the people of Israel. I have been with you wherever you went and I've cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more and evil doers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house and when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And then from 2 Samuel chapter 12. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David And he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children, and it used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man And he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point simply to the word just read, and ultimately to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name, amen. At one end of the National Mall in Washington, D.C., nearly two miles opposite the Capitol building stands the Lincoln Memorial completed and dedicated in 1922. It is a design of Henry Bacon and echoes the form of a Greek Doric temple. Inside the memorial are three chambers divided by ionic columns and within the center chamber is the Colossus of Abraham Lincoln, a larger than life statue designed by Daniel Chester French that depicts the slain 16th president sitting in meditation his arms resting upon Roman fasces, suggesting a magistrate's seat of jurisdiction. Lincoln peers across the mall to the Capitol, the judge of the Republic. On opposite walls to his left and right are words from perhaps his two greatest speeches, the Gettysburg Address and the second inaugural, each speech less than one half the length of this sermon. If the marbled Lincoln were to rise from his judge's seat, he would stand 28 feet tall. A towering giant, a transcendent figure, an iconic leader. To visit the memorial is to be taken with the homage paid by a grateful nation to one who, in the crisis of our history, stood in the breach, towered over time, and led us to pursue the better angels of our nature. No one, however, would find greater irony in the scale of this memorial than Abraham Lincoln himself. For in the four short years of his presidency, Lincoln often wondered if he was up to the task, if perhaps he was more a mistake of history than a man of history. Speaking to a gathering of Presbyterians midway through his presidency, Lincoln said this, I was early brought to the living reflection that there was nothing in the arms of this man, however there might be in others, to rely upon for such difficulties, and that without the direct assistance of the Almighty, I was certain of failing. I sincerely wish that I was a more devoted man than I am. A year before the end of the war, Lincoln wrote to a Kentucky newspaper editor, Albert G. Hodges, and said, in telling my tale, I intend no compliment to my own wisdom. I claim not to have controlled events, but confess plainly that events have controlled me. At one point, he even wondered out loud if maybe God was on the other cause, on the other side of the cause of slavery. Truth is, had it been Lincoln who held the sculptor's chisel, the figure he might have chiseled for himself would have been smaller than the smallest here today. And the material out of which he would have sculpted would not have been marble, but clay. But maybe that is what Daniel Chester French saw in the man from Springfield when he took up his chisel. A simple man who rose to be larger than life, not out of his own self-image, but a man who towered over time out of his own humility. Lincoln was never afraid to pause and consider the thought that he might be wrong. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. So there the 16th president presides in his magistrate's chair the judge of the Republic, their first to judge himself, to examine himself, to question himself. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Those words of the psalmist are words about King David, And for the people of Israel, there stands no less towering figure in the story of God and his people than King David. Strangely, the archaeology and historical records of the time outside of the pages of the Bible show no record of King David or little record. It is left for Israel to tell her own story about their favorite king. A king who began his ascent to the throne through no design of his own. A young shepherd boy, the youngest of Jesse's sons, good with a slingshot, holds no aspiration for a higher office. But it is the discernment of Samuel that singles him out as God's chosen one for the throne. We don't have time to tell the tale of David's circuitous path to become king, but it shouldn't be lost on us that the path begins not with David aspiring, but with Samuel summoning. David is a summoned leader. Now the fact is, David is summoned to preside over a theocracy a form of government that assents to the authority of a particular God and a particular set of laws prescribed by that God. David is God's chosen one not only to lead the people but to be God's voice to the people and a model for the people of what it means to be faithful to their God. Our form of government of course is a democracy that protects the freedom of all people to worship and follow the God of their own choosing. We do not call upon nor expect our president to be the voice of a particular God only to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. And yet it is our Judeo-Christian heritage that would summon us into the pages of 1st and 2nd Samuel and have us wonder about this man, David, who is anointed leader of Israel and whose kingdom Jesus inherits as his own. The Lord will give him, remember the angel said to Mary, the Lord will give him his, the throne of his father, David. The biblical writers with megaphone call us to ponder this shepherd boy turned king, and with two weeks to go before deciding our own leadership, what timely placement the story has in our narrative lectionary. Now the truth is, David is a terribly flawed character. We could say even that David's character is terribly flawed. The story of David is the passionate effort, on the other hand, to live into this vision of God, this vision that God would have for the king of Israel to be God's person and to be the people's person. And it's this passionate effort to be faithful to his country and his God, through which David makes some terrible mistakes. Mistakes actually is putting it mildly. David is impetuous in his judgments, he's unable to control his own family, and he is the perpetrator of a political and moral scandal that would make even our own politicians blush, and that's hard to imagine these days. (laughs) In just a couple of chapters comes that story of the summoned king who summons the wife of one of his generals and sleeps with her And when she's found to be with child, ends up ordering the general's death to cover it all up. And just when he thinks that maybe he's gotten away with it, enter one Nathan. Nathan the prophet. Nathan the truth teller. Turns out that one thing David has done is that he has put inside his court and by his side a truth teller. He has placed at his side a person who loves God enough and loves the king enough that he is willing to tell David the truth about himself because the unexamined life is not worth living. David is the transcendent leader of Israel because David is willing to listen to the truth, especially the truth about himself. So Nathan tells David this story about a rich man who absconds with a little lamb of a poor neighbor and David is so enraged that such a man could do such a thing and all along, David cannot see that the story is about himself until Nathan says, you're the man. And finally, David hears the truth David opens his soul enough to let the crushing reality inside and to drive him to his knees, a broken man, and to confess, according to the psalmist, these words, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight." This man, who has won for Israel battle after battle, this man who has vanquished Israel's foes, this man who has danced before the ark of the Lord, this man who has composed the great poetry of Israel, this man who fell the great giant Goliath, all that enough for him perhaps to summon the rarest of marble and to sculpt for himself his own colossus. But Israel loves him not for these things. Israel loves him because he is a man who hears the truth and who meditates upon the law day and night, who examines his own soul and is not afraid to offer unto God a broken spirit. You are the man, Nathan says. And with that comes feet of clay and a broken heart and a humility perhaps that you and I yearn for in a leader. Is that possibly true? That the past 60 or 70 weeks of our politics would be endurable if we were but to hear from our candidates some truth about themselves. That there seemed to be some honest examination of their souls, some sign of remorse over sins past some sense of self-awareness. Strange, isn't it, that Jesus, in his own leadership succession plan, offers the keys to the kingdom, the, the kingdom of his father David, offers the keys of the kingdom to no less Simon Peter, the one summoned from the beaches of Galilee, the one who always seems to put his foot in his mouth, the one who sinks into the sea when offered to walk on the water, the one so unaware of himself that he insists to Jesus that of all the disciples, he's the one that Jesus can most count on to not deny him. And deny him he does, not once, not twice, but three times. This is the one to whom Jesus offers the keys to the kingdom. But that's only the first half of the story. It is Peter who weeps the bitterest in the shadow of the cross. It is Peter who understands, maybe more than all the others, how far he has to go. And Jesus says, now that's my kind of leader. Step by step, Peter struggles to claim his role as leader of the church, realizing all those things about him that disqualify him from the job. And if tradition is to be believed, Peter insists that when it comes time for his own crucifixion, Peter insists that he be crucified not like his master, but be crucified upside down. And wouldn't you wonder if they took Peter to St. Peter's Square in Rome today and pointed him to the gilded halls of the Vatican and the murals and the paintings and told him that this was the Holy See and that it all stems from one man, one disciple. Who might this be, Peter would ask. And they would say, oh, you, you are the man. Can you see him shake his head? Can you hear him say, oh, I'm the man all right, I denied him three times. The unexamined life is not worth living. And maybe that's what we yearn for in our leaders, the examined life, not a perfect life, not a sinless life, not a life that agrees with everything that we think, but an examined life one who might place within his or her court a truth teller, one who might listen when the truth is told, one whose arms alone he knows, she knows, are nothing to rely upon. Reinhold Niebuhr, one of the last century's great theologians put it this way, ultimately evil is done not so much by evil people but by good people who do not know themselves and who do not probe deeply and can we hope for these things from our leaders if we do not hope them for ourselves are we not also being summoned it's really what the whole story has been about right Abraham and Moses and Samuel and David and Deborah and Mary and Ruth and Elizabeth and Peter and Paul, they're all summoned, aren't they, into this great story of God and guess what? The first truth to learn is the truth about ourselves. It's the only way to get to the rest of the story of grace and mercy and justice and wisdom and righteousness, this examined life. Who in your life is telling you the truth? about yourself, not the truth about Donald, not the truth about Hillary, but the truth about you, not the cable talking head, but the one who will help you examine yourself to discover yourself and to understand maybe what little you understand, (laughs) what little you might have right and how much we need the help of our Father in Heaven, how much we need the help of each other, how much we even need the help from the one on the other side. To quote Niebuhr again, man's capacity for justice makes democracy possible, but man's inclination to injustice makes democracy necessary. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood and sisterhood from sea to shining sea.